0: The fracturing of Western Christianity suggests that denominationalism may be dying, but at what cost? Should we as Christians turn more focus on the community table, liturgy, singing, and teaching?
1: Listening to Telly's Talk, a podcast on being complete in Christ. Today we are completing our series on the Gospel. This episode, A Divisive History, addresses how the Gospel message is lost through the fracturing and denominalization of the Church throughout history. Why is the Church divided into so many denominations? And is our Church guilty of sinning through its many divisions? Let's listen in now, as our host tackles this difficult topic.
0: Hello and welcome to Tellius Talk. Today we're closing out our short series on the Gospel. I hope to come back to this again at a later time, as it seems we have only scratched the surface, or picked a few scabs, as one of my profs has said. And there is so much more that we should discuss on this topic. However, today we are going to attempt to answer three questions. Why is the church plagued with denominationalism? What's the deal with Protestants and Catholics? And what about the Messianic, Coptic, and Orthodox churches? I fully expect there will be some overlap as we explore these three questions. The increasing number of Protestant denominations and their schisms seem to portray a poor testimony to Christ's words in Matthew sixteen eighteen, where he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Where is this unity? And how can sincere, born-again, Bible-believing Christians led by the same Holy Spirit understand and present Scripture in so many opposing ways? This is a problematic discussion because what I will be talking about may be upsetting. But the point I'm trying to make is that the division we see in the Church has some benefits, but the divisions are ultimately a contra-gospel and unbiblical sin. In 2008, Sister Rosalind Moss delivered a talk called The Barren Harvest of Denominationalism and addressed the fracturing effects of this practice in the church. In her testimony, she shared why she chose Catholicism over her Protestant training and conservative Jewish upbringing. In a nutshell, she saw the truth in the gospel believing that Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and pagans as well. However, after a short time within the Protestant Church, she found that the animosity between those that she served and those who she knew in the Catholic Church meant there must only be one truth. Based on this, she studied all the literature she could on the fallacies of Catholicism, but those studies only led her toward the Catholic Church. Ultimately convinced that the Catholic Church was the true church of Matthew 16:18, she converted and left the Protestant Church. It was the ceremony, liturgy, and traditionalism which spurred her decision. Being raised as a Jew, it felt most like what she expected from a church which acknowledged Christ as Messiah. Listen, there's a lot to agree with in what she experienced, and there is much that I love about the Catholic Church. But I struggle with its teachings on the divinity of Mary, the infallibility of the popes, the holiness of relics, and the sacredness of tradition. These views imbue in us a sense of idolatry, leading the believer away from worshipping God to worshipping things. that being said, there are four main disagreements which continue to divide Christianity. They are the canon of scripture. We ask the question, Why are the books in our Bible there, and who decided on them? We have the five solas, sola scriptura, which is scripture alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, and soli Deo gloria, glory to God alone. The third is the tradition of liturgy. Is this merely a public work, a pattern of worship, or an element of salvation? Lastly, the tradition of hierarchy. Who really is the head of the church, and where do we derive our ultimate authority? It is from these disagreements that we see a directed watering down of the gospel. What is a strength for some believers becomes anathema to others. Among each of the three major Christian groups, Protestant, Catholic, and Messianic Judaism, I have chosen four points that each holds as a strength, but the others may see as a watering down or even as a blatant heresy. Let's start with my own personal beliefs. Protestantism. The first one that I want to talk about is contraception. Is this an expression of stewardship or an intrinsic evil which is an attempt to thwart the will of God? Secondly, the discipline of children. Is it better to heed cultural pressure or engage in corporal punishment? Thirdly, discipline of adult membership. What actions dictate excommunication and what is our responsibility to those outside of the church? Fourthly, divorce, adultery, promiscuous lifestyles, and homosexuality. And I think, quite frankly, if we can agree on the first three points, these are clear non-starters. The Bible labels them all as sin. Next we have what is referred to as the true church or apostolic church. We're talking here about the Catholic church and the Orthodox church. The first question is about authority and the priesthood. Is Peter the rock or the pebble? And if Christ called us all to the priesthood, do we need rock stars and heroes to act in the place of Christ and the Holy Spirit? Secondly, authority in scripture. Does God's hand still move today, encouraging continuous revelation, or is his word closed, complete, and authoritative? Thirdly, works theology. Are faith and good works necessary for salvation, or... Are good works an expression of true faith? Fourthly, the church and the state. Are we to champion a theocratic governance, or is the separation of church and state more in keeping with our ultimate purpose? Lastly, we have what could be referred to as the Church of the Covenant. These would be the Messianic Jews and the Coptic Christians. The first point is about the nature and the role of Messiah. We could call the first disciples Messianic Jews, But is the person of Christ calling us to a new covenant or is he the fulfillment of the old covenant? Second point is syncretism. Is it right to continue to practice traditional festivals for the sake of tradition or do these practices provide richness to the truth of the gospel? Thirdly, is the understanding of original sin. Is man inherently evil or do we choose to sin because God has given each of us free will? And fourthly, Torah and Oral Law? Is the whole of the law contained in the Torah alone? Or can we glean direction from Oral Law and Traditions? Now, considering that Christianity is a world religion, I cannot argue that there is anything wrong with having denominations per se. However, we should strive for peace within the Church. Like I said last month, some individuals and denominations strive to hold onto what they believe are the core teachings of Christ, while others embrace changes as necessary for relevance and engagement with modern challenges. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 10 through 13, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. What I mean is this, One of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, and still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? When we look at the teachings and doctrines which divide our churches, we should always look back at scripture, bypassing traditions and dictums to be united in mind and in thought. But is the reality of our denominations harmonious with what is referred to as denominationalism? If I am to say, I'm a Mennonite and I'm proud of it, am I promoting a traditional identity or am I saying that if you're not a Mennonite, you're wrong? You see, denominationalism is a devotion to one's own denomination. But in a negative sense, it is an emphasis on denominational differences to the point of being narrowly exclusive. Denominationalism, carried to an extreme, could be called sectarianism. This contains shadows of what we read in Second Timothy 4 verse 3, where it says, And in this form it is sinfully divisive. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but will, according to their desires, multiply teachers for themselves, because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. The Reverend John Rose once said Protestantism, when it works upon civilization for a long period of time, degenerates that civilization. The United States is the only major country in the world that was built at a time when the whole Catholic past did not exist. Seemingly in response, Gareth D. Flannery of Lubbock Christian University wrote American denominationalism is a structure born to give expression to free and voluntary religion in a country without an established church. Have the words of John Rose come true? Is Protestantism a degenerating force against civilization, or has the fractious nature of Christianity been its own Achilles heel? Philosopher and theologian Kenneth Samples has observed, Unfortunately, there are times when historic Christian denominations apostatize, or fall away from the faith. When churches or denominations renounce belief in the essential truths of the faith, such as ecumenical creeds, Christian members of these bodies have no alternative but to leave in response. Therefore, some forms of denominationalism are based on principal acts of protest. The unity of the faith is very important, but never at the expense of essential biblical truth. In my church, we have members who have joined from many other denominations. Christians will seek the truth when their churches deny it. Believers will go somewhere else when their community of faith becomes corrupt. Can we expect the emergence of a church which draws in Christians who desire after the truth of scripture? I believe this is what the Western church actually needs. The fracturing of Western Christianity suggests that denominationalism may be dying, but at what cost? Should we as Christians turn more focus on the community table, liturgy, singing, And teaching? Scott Annial of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary writes, Traditional hymnody and liturgy unifies Christians while preserving appropriate denominational distinctiveness. But praise and worship theology and seeker-sensitive worship philosophy contribute to denominational decline. You know, and I think I agree with him. Brian Sauvé tweeted at the beginning of the month, One of the saddest sounds to my ears is a church without a strong report of men singing. One of the biggest reasons for this is men are mostly embarrassed to follow metrosexual worship leaders singing sappy songs in a breathy tone. After reading it, I replied to him saying, There is truth in your statement. I love adding bass to the old hymns, grinding out way down low. But I'm also a multi-instrumentalist, and I can praise God on the drums, the bass, guitar, piano, or organ as well. Where I get lost is in the boyfriend lyrics, our songs should teach. One of my pastors once said that praise and worship is not defined just as the singing part of the service. We praise and worship God in our tithing, participation, and attention to the teaching of God's word. The gospel message stands through the test of time, through every age, every heresy, every confusion, division, and sin. But we must be focused on where the gospel message is leading us. Where are we on the road to? For the Messianic Jews and Coptic Christians, it seems like they are on the road to Jerusalem. To bring back the Messiah to the holy city, Protestants such as myself have a preoccupation, it seems, with Bethlehem and Golgotha, birth and death, beginning and end, running in circles without direction. The Catholic and Orthodox churches seem to be journeying to Rome, looking at tradition, but we as Christians are all wandering on roads which do not lead to the place that we have been called to. And our gospel message reveals this disunity. The journey of the gospel brings all Christians to the promised land. When heaven and earth pass away, ours is the promise of eternity with our Creator. Romans 6.22 says, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Jesus seems to have addressed this notion of division within the church when in John seventeen twenty through 21 he said, I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. We have a tendency to draw chaos out of order, tearing apart the perfection and creating destruction the writer of ecclesiastes wrote behold i have found only this that god made people upright but they have sought out many schemes we constantly work obstinately through the hardening of our hearts donkeys at the wheel of free will to push contrary to the design god has laid out before us in creation god took the chaos and he created order In Abraham, God took the chaos of pantheism and instituted a covenant of monotheism. In Christ, the chaos of religion was made perfect through the perfection of family and adoption. The chaos of works was made perfect in faith. The chaos of man-made laws, perfect in love. The chaos of destruction, perfect in sacrifice. Now we, the Church, the Bride of Christ, have taken that perfection, the will, the design of God, and once again chased after chaos chasing the sin and corruption of our hearts. The message of the gospel is that God has a plan for us. We were created for a purpose, but we cannot fulfill that purpose on our own. The church strains under its own desire for and struggle against the plan of God, losing sight of it as we focus on how to force God into our sinful desires. And maybe that is why the fracturing is so prevalent. We are sinners, dysfunctional and stubborn, bound by the law and afraid of love. The gospel, if it is to be believed, must be followed and lived out through the lives of those who call themselves believers. This is our divisive history. Let us pray. Father God, we are stubborn children. We want you to fit into the hole that we have created instead of grabbing on to you. And forgetting those things, those rules that we have created. I pray that as a Christian church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever our differences, we would choose to love each other and we would choose to come back to be a united family of Christians who desire what it is that you will for our lives. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening next month we will be looking at the occultic practices in the church this is going to be a very interesting episode i've been looking forward to it for quite a long time i hope you join me until then
1: thank you for joining us for today's episode as you heard next month Telios talk will talk about the occult practices in the church are there activities we do in private which are occultic in nature and which of those practices are being taught in today's church? You may be in for a surprise. If you enjoy the Telios Talk podcast, please leave a review of each episode on our Facebook page. Don't forget to share Telios Talk with people you know or on your social media pages. Join the conversation we're having on Facebook and Twitter after every podcast. Look for our book, Six Good Questions, on Amazon. It is a great resource for small group discussions and your church library. As always, it would be good to hear from you. Send us an email at teleostalk at gmail.com. Keep us in your prayers as we prepare our podcast every month. We look forward to sharing with you again.